Jesus, Bible, and current events from a Christian perspective. Battling spiritual wickedness in high places, one podcast at a time. This is the High Places Podcast. Hello everyone, this is Jim. I just wanted to talk about something that uh, I kind of noticed yesterday. So first of all, have you seen there's like another guy? who's getting into the presidential race, like some representative congressman from Ohio. You can't even keep track of all these guys. At some point, you'd think people would say, okay, yeah, we need someone else as president, and yeah, I think I'm qualified, but there's like 57 other people running, and how is anybody going to hear my message? And they would just like wait. But they must really think that this is the time to run. Uh, I don't know if they're seeing a vulnerability or whatever it is, but boy, anybody who can, who, I mean, ever even like had a passing thought of running for president or being president is like jumping into this race now. This is kind of crazy. Um, and when I guess we're only, what's today, April, May, June, the presidential debates actually start in June. So we're only a couple months away from that. And folks have been uh, trying, the Democrats are doing something uh, different as far as, you know, how you're going to handle all these candidates debating. And I guess they're going to have different debates with like 10 people each. And then they put uh, like some criteria, like how much money you had to raise or how many uh, individual donors you had to have because they're trying to go for the grassroots and rather than getting, you know, big, uh, big money people involved because, those ties to Wall Street didn't serve them too well back in 2016. So they're trying to do the grassroots thing and get a lot of people. So the end of the quarter just happened. Then all these candidates are announcing how much money uh, they have. And who is it? Like Bernie Sanders has like, I think it's like $21 million or $28 million. He's got money left over from his previous campaign. So he had like, I think, 28 or $32 million total. But I think he brought in like $21 million in the first quarter. Wow. So uh, all those people that were saying, you know, Bernie's time has passed him by, doesn't look like it. Um, and he's still popular with the young people. So, oh, wow. And then poor jo- <laughs> poor Uncle Joe Biden. Boy, he, um, he's been dancing around, waiting, waiting, waiting. And he gets close. And now he's like, you know, been hugging too many people. And so they're just going after Joe. I don't know why, you know, his time was 2016. He probably could have won those Rust Belt states, um, just like Bernie probably could have won them too. But, you know, the Democrats decided the fix was in for Hillary. Um, so, yeah, but his his chance was probably a couple of years ago. Because I don't know, they're just, it looks like, you know, I don't know why he'd still want to get in this. If he's really been contemplating this, and he's not even jumped in yet, and now he's got all this thing going on, and he had to do his apology iPhone video and all this stuff. It's like, man, you want to, you really want to go through that for the next year and a half? And Joe's looking old, too. It's like you think you'd get tired at some point and just like, why do I want to do this anymore? Um, but he's uh, he's doing it. I don't know. But, yeah, uh, we'll just see. I don't know if anybody's going to give him any money. Um and then uh, the Beto thing is kind of, have you heard much about him lately? There was the initial love affair 
And then the Marxist realized that he's a privileged white male that got a lot of money from his father and his wife. <laughs> and that takes away a lot of their talking points right there. Um, so, I don't know. But I guess he made some money too. And then um, Mayor Pete from South Bend, Indiana, home of Notre Dame, if I'm not mistaken. Pete, I didn't even realize how you pronounce his name until yesterday. I was pronouncing it all wrong. But apparently I wasn't the only one because he's got shirts, I guess, that have his name like spelled out phonetically or something. I guess you pronounce his last name. We'll see how many times I can mess this up. Uh, see, I have to stop and think about it. Buttigieg, Pete Buttigieg. I have to think of the shirt because the shirt had like three words on it. It had boot, like something you put on your foot, and then edge, like the edge of a cliff, and then another edge. And that's how you're supposed to pronounce it, Buttigieg. So if I think of the shirt, I'm okay. But this guy, so this is an interesting guy, and I saw an article on USA Today, and that's what got me thinking about this guy and kind of looking into his story. So, uh, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, he was elected mayor when he was 29. He's like 37 now. So he's only a couple years older than you need to be to be president. And I think, uh, he'd be 39, uh, at the time he was sworn in if he won. Um, and he's, you know, been reelected. I guess in his last election, he won 80% of the vote, 80%. And this guy, so, uh, quite the resume, actually, a uh, Harvard graduate, a uh, Rhodes Scholar at Oxford, uh, Afghan war veteran, um, speaks seven languages, seven or eight. I, I see both of those numbers, and I don't know if they're counting English as one of them. Um, so, and I, then I heard, uh, thought I read something about him being like a concert-level pianist or something, too. And he's a millennial, so millennial president. So, yeah, that'd be kind of weird already. Um, but this guy, right now, he is polling third in Iowa, third behind Biden and Sanders. What that ha how'd that happen? Eleven percent, I think, for a guy that I mean, he's just the mayor of a you know city with a hundred and what five thousand people, something like that, hundred five thousand. This is not a big, not a big place. And all of a sudden, because uh, I guess he was at this uh, CNN had him on some televised thing at uh, the South by Southwest event not too long ago. And you listen to the guy. And aside from the fact that he has a foul mouth, so I can't really listen to him anymore. He was he was doing some podcast, and he just like drops an F-bomb right in the middle of the thing. And not even, like I mean, very casual. Like he's ordering fries at McDonald's or something, and then boom. Um, it's like, okay. And then I've heard him, you know, say other things. And that's where, so now I'm to the point where I can't listen to the guy talk anymore. Because I don't need that garbage in my head. Um, it seems like most of these uh, politicians these days uh, for <laughs> talk that way. I guess they're just reflecting the culture. Um, but the stuff I did hear him say, um, and people have commented on this, he is uh, really very coherent and just very, um, 
he really kind of knows his positions on things and he's got some kind of canned stump speech stuff, but he's not just spewing out his, you know, little bumper sticker sloganeering things and just kind of, you know, like a lot of these guys do and their grandstand, especially like all the senators that, you know, use these Senate hearings to kind of grandstand and put on a show and feign outrage at this thing or that thing and, and all that kind of red meat sort of stuff. Um, uh, thoughtful is the word you keep seeing uh, with this guy. And just really has a deep knowledge of his positions. You may not agree with his positions, but he, he knows where he stands on things. And um, it, it reminds me very, very much of Bill Clinton in 92. And you remember back then, there were all these uh, candidate, candidates running uh, for the Democrats, not nearly as many as that are running now, but I think they called them the seven dwarves back then because there were people that um, they really weren't like top-tier Democrat politicians because at the time, uh, George H.W. Bush, you know, just came out of the Gulf War and he had like an n- over 90% approval rating. And so all the senior Democrats and they're like, I'm not going to run against this guy and get, you know, slaughtered and embarrass myself. So they were going to hold out and wait for uh, the next election. Uh, And so then you had all these kind of second tier Democrats running for president. And that's when Bill Clinton got in. And Clinton was young back then. I think he was like 43 or something. And the same kind of resume, uh, right? Ivy League school. Uh, I believe, uh, Georgetown, and then went to Oxford. Um, And so, but he had the same thing. It it was, he had a deep knowledge of all these issues. And you you really got the impression that he sat around and he thought about this stuff. Um, And he was really able to communicate them and, and just very knowledgeable. And so, like in debates and that, um, cause that's what back with Ross Perot was in that one. And of course, uh, president Bush. And I, mean, he clearly stood out as being very thoughtful and the, him and Ross Perot both came across, uh, quite well because they had, uh, kind of this deep knowledge of what they were talking about. And, uh, again, you may not agree with his positions, but the fact that, um, they seemed authentic just based on, uh, an intellectual exercise that he went through. And same with this guy, this, um, uh, I say I have to stop and think about his name again, Buttigieg. Um, same thing uh, when you listen to him talk. And so, and very calm. And so his angle. So this guy, though, so uh, openly gay, uh, married uh, in the Episcopal Church. And so this is kind of the thing that caught my attention. So you're like, okay. Um, wow, how does an openly gay guy win, you know, an election in Indiana? Um, but I guess South Bend, it is a college town, so it's a little bit more liberal. Um, but his angle is, you know, he doesn't shy away from this religious stuff. I mean, you remember, um, Barack Obama and he was, you know, he kind of did the religious stuff and they'd show pictures of him at church and that until you got the whole, you know, Jeremiah Wright thing going on. And then, you know, he didn't, but even Obama talked about his faith ostensibly, you know, he disagreed with like things in the Bible. He didn't like what Paul wrote. And it's like, okay, so you're going to pick and choose which parts of the Bible you like. Um, 
but he didn't really kind of make his appeal based on faith. But this Buttigieg guy kind of is doing that. Uh, and the, the article in USA Today, the headline, it was on, uh, let's see, April 3rd. Um, Mayor Pete Buttigieg's counterculture approach to Christianity is what America needs now. So, uh, this kind of fake Christian stuff, this kind of, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, social gospel, um, uh, you know, this liberal, I look what the mainline denominations are doing and the different things they've embraced um, uh, over the years and kind of drifted away. So, I mean, it's this is nothing particularly new, but it's interesting f with this guy because, um, first of all, he's a millennial. And if you look at the percentage of millennials that consider themselves religious, I mean, they're the least religious group in America. Um, and so some people have said, well, you know, uh, Buttigieg talking about religion is actually going to turn off, you know, his own peer group and other, you know, liberal Democrats. Um, but I guess I would disagree with that because the people who are non-religious, the liberals who don't like quote unquote religion, it isn't that they don't like religion. They don't like Christianity and they don't like Bible believing Christianity. I, they don't have a problem with religion because a lot of them, you know, they look fondly at Buddhism or, you know, yoga, Hinduism, or, you know, they consider themselves spiritual but not religious. I mean, how many times have you heard of that? Um, but it's, it's Bible-believing Christianity that they have a problem with. So they don't mind religion, quote-unquote. Um, they just don't like people who believe what the Bible says. And so when you have people that don't actually believe what the Bible says, who call themselves Christians, well, that's exactly the kind of Christian these non-religious people want. They wish all Christians were like that. Because if they were, they probably wouldn't mind them so much. And so he kind of appeals to that idea. And isn't this what the devil wants, right? Because it's, again, it's twisting God's words. In fact, um, Buttigieg even said, let me find this thing in the article. Uh, Christians are called to defend the poor. And so he, he, uh, was kind of condemning, um, the Christian right. I mean, it's so hard to talk about these labels anymore because you can't even say evangelical because what does that mean anymore? Is that the TBN crowd? Is that the prosperity, health and wealth Name it, claim it, um, you know, positive confession, happiness. God wants you to achieve all your goals. Thing. I mean, really, I don't, we have to come up with a new term when we're talking about Bible believing Christians. That's why I use that term because evangelical, I, the TBN crowd considers themselves e evangelical. Um, so it's like, yeah, I don't even know what term to use, but on issues like abortion, uh, on issues like homosexuality. This is what uh, liberals have a problem with. Um, and so if you have someone who calls themselves Christian, 
who isn't talking about those things. Um, in fact, he even says, um, quote, when I think about where most scripture points me is toward defending the poor and the immigrant and the stranger and the prisoner and the outcast and those who are left behind by the way society works. Um, okay. And so, but his, his approach is not hostile. He's again, cause he's kind of from the Midwest and he's in a very religious part of the Midwest. And so he has to, this whole reaching across the aisle, building bridges. He was very, if you listen to him talk about this in that town hall, it's a, he, he was very empathetic towards people who have a problem with accepting, um, you know, these sins <laughs> that our culture wants us to accept and that part of quote unquote Christianity wants people to start to accept. And he was very empathetic and say, yeah, it's difficult for them. We have to help them be on the right side of history was the term he used. Um, but so he talked about, uh, carrying a message to the public, you know, knitting together lots of groups that have already been on this path for some time, but giving them more visibility in the public sphere. I mean, so it, I, I mean, he was just talking about this, um, again, the kind of this social gospel, uh, Christianity. And he even referred to the Christian left, the burgeoning Christian left. And he rattled off some, uh, preachers that I'd never heard of, but apparently, um, you know, this is the new Christian left. Um, and so I, I, it's just interesting the way that's being kind of set up. Um, and of course, you know, he calls into question, uh, president Trump's faith and, um, uh, one can have a valid discussion about that. Um, and I'm not here to, I, yeah, I am, you will know them by their fruits. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, but he uses that as a counter to himself and that his Christianity is the authentic one. Now for better or worse, uh, Trump is kind of linked with evangelical Christendom and, um, and, the uh, quote unquote Christian right. And that's unfortunately because so many, uh, so-called Christian leaders, although I never remember voting for any of these people, uh, it usually means they have a media ministry and have lots of people watching them on television. Um, and then somehow that makes you a leader. Um, during the 2016 campaign, so many of these notable, uh, Christian people, um, attached themselves to Trump just because they hated Hillary so much. Uh, Attila the Hun could have been running uh, as the Republican nominee and they would have been all over that guy supporting him because he wasn't Hillary Clinton. Um, and so, uh, so many of these people went and supported Trump. And I, at the time, I'm like, wow, this is going to backfire because uh, you hitch the, you know, evangelical Christian wagon to Trump and whatever he does wrong is going to reflect uh, poorly on Christians, Bible-believing Christians. 
And isn't that how things have turned out? And so, um, so yeah. And, and you don't hear people speaking out on uh, Trump's support of homosexuality, and I all this. It's 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 just turned into this political thing. And so, yeah. So, um, so this Buttigieg guy is offering this, uh, if you will, kinder, gentler Christianity. That's an alternative to Trump Christianity. Um, and so the, I mean, the USA today is just, I mean, they were kind of fawning over him, um, with this approach to Christianity. Um, and you know, about talking about him, you know, he is, uh, Buttigieg is preaching grace. And it's just funny that he's questioning Trump's Christianity because of the way Trump behaves um, and puts that in contract to his own Christianity. Um, he's married to another man, supports abortion. Um, I don't know that uh, these are things that Jesus would approve of. <laughs> uh, the Bible speaks about um, not killing people. And how bad it was that uh, people in Canaan uh, sacrificed their children to idols. Um, and uh, we don't even need to talk about the homosexual stuff. The Bible's clear about that. Um, and so, but you can kind of see how this is being positioned. I'm really curious to see how this guy does. Because he brought in like seven million bucks. He hasn't even announced he's running yet. This was just for his exploratory uh, campaign and that seven million was in two months and he's doing well in the polls and the media are just boy they're tripping over him now like they were tripping over uh beto o'rourke the problem is as we said before you know beto's this uh white male privilege guy this rich guy and there's already rumblings about you know hey how come the people at the top of the polls for the democrats are white males and uh, don't we need to reflect you know, the broader party. And so well, the Democrats can decide uh, who they want for that. That's fine. And um, yeah, nothing wrong with having candidates that reflect uh, different peoples in our country, different uh, backgrounds. Uh, perfectly fine. Um, but so now everybody's on uh, Pete's bandwagon. It's like, well, white male again. But see, he's the only white male in the race who can still claim to be a minority because he's got the gay thing. So if there was a white male you could have on the ticket and not have it be this privilege thing again, um, you know? Uh, and so you just wonder, and people were even talking about, I saw articles, uh, people talking about um, the parallel between this guy and Barack Obama, now obviously it's way too early. This guy is, you know, he's getting his 15 minutes of fame and we'll see if it lasts. But it's just interesting to think about because I think when Obama won in 2008, first of all, he um, he gave like two or three good speeches. I remember the, the speech he did at the Democratic uh, National Convention in like, was it 2004 when he was running for Senate? I don't even think he finished a term as Senate before he uh, ran for president. Um, so he kind of came out of nowhere too. He had, you know, he had Illinois politics, but, um, but he gave a great speech 
in the convention in 2004, I think it was. Um, and then he had a couple of great speeches after the Iowa caucus and after the New Hampshire primary, I believe. Just soaring rhetoric. You never heard anything like that from him again, which is something because I remember when I heard those speeches, I'm like, wow, I don't know if this guy's going to be a good president, but we should get a lot of good speeches. Uh, but we really didn't after that because it was all teleprompter after that. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Mr. President. Um, but they're kind of making the parallel and I want, and I wonder it's like, cause at that time, 2008, I think, uh, and you know, people talk about, uh, Obama's election as a milestone. I mean, we elected a, a black president in this country and I'm great, great. That's, uh, it was too long in coming. Um, and, but the country was like ready to have a black president. I think the country wanted to vote for a black president. And Obama looked uh, very appealing. Um, and I remember the um, speech in 2004 was very centrist and very, uh, hey, we have to take responsibility for our actions and our own communities and all this other stuff and not your typical liberal stuff. That's what made him stand out. Um, personal responsibility, uh, was his big thing. And so, um, people didn't know much about him. I think in 2008, Hillary Clinton was certainly shocked by him. She didn't, she was expecting to just, you know, uh, skip right on to the nomination and not have any, uh, any real challenge. And then, wow, this guy comes out of nowhere. Um, but I think America was ready. And so you wonder now with this guy, is America ready for a gay president? Um, um, and that's a little bit of a different thing. Um, and so, uh, yeah, what would it say about this country? But, you know, can he appeal, or I don't want to say even appeal, can he give cover to the people who call themselves Christians, um, but uh, they don't want to be painted as hateful and bigoted and da 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 da. But and so they're walking that tightrope. They want to see themselves as Christians. Uh, they want to be able to go to their church. They want to do all this other stuff. But they want society to love them too. They want to be loved by the world. Um. And so this guy can give him cover on that. And, you know, he's promising all the free stuff that everybody else is promising too, uh, from the Democrats. So, you know, they get all that as a bonus. Um, but they can say, Hey, you know what? He was married in the church. He's a religious guy. Um, uh, yeah. So I Midwest, you know, uh, Northern Indiana, Rust Belt kind of thing. Can he appeal to the same working class people that Trump did in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin? And he gives people cover. But I, this, the, the thing about this to me that was so interesting was this just redefinition of Christianity. And like I said, it's been going on for a while. And like I said, Obama called himself a Christian and talked uh, a little bit about uh, his faith. But uh, th this guy, uh, and maybe it's just because he's from Indiana instead of Chicago, 
and he's using it as an appeal and he's offering an alternative Christianity that is supposed to be um, at least as uh, moral as what um, evangelical Christendom is perceived as um, because of this, um, you know, um, following the Bible's teaching on sexuality. Uh, uh, and that can include a lot of things, you know, fornication, divorce, uh, which is adultery, um, and abortion, things like that. Things that the media and um, certain groups and politicians have been uh, vilifying Christians uh, over for quite some time. And so it's almost um, a kind of a step-by-step process. You vilify Christians who follow the Bible, and then there's this uneasiness in uh, in the country as a whole among people who call themselves Christians that, you know, they kind of self-censor and they kind of waffle on those uh, touchy issues. Um, and then some guy comes along and offers an alternative Christianity on a public stage. And again, he's not the first guy to be on a public stage doing this. Um, you have a lot of... Uh, these uh, liberal mega preacher people out there. Um, was it Rob Bell? And I mean, all those, you know, that ilk. Um, but this guy's a politician and he's running for president. It's a pretty big stage. Uh, and he's very popular uh, in a part of the country where uh, the Democrats need to be popular. If you look at the presidents who have won, uh, over the years, Ed, the the Democrats like to nominate like Northeast liberals uh, or people from the upper Midwest, but they get slaughtered, right? Like John Kerry or uh, Dukakis, uh, Mondale, uh, going back to, you know, Hubert Humphrey. Uh, Obama was the one that kind of broke that upper Midwest thing. But again, I think people didn't know much about him. He made some, a couple few good speeches that really appealed to people. And, um, I think, uh, the country was ready for him, um, at that time. But, but you look, but other than that, you look at the Democrats who have won, you have to go all the way back to Kennedy, uh, to get a Northeast liberal, but it's been, um, more conservative Democrat, Democrats from conservative parts of the country. Right. And so Johnson, Texas, uh, Carter, uh, Georgia, Sunday school teacher, um, and Bill Clinton, um, who was a lot more conservative when he was, uh, in the nineties than he is now. Um, and, and so that's, what's won. And so you've got this young guy, um, from a conservative part of the country who, who puts a, in the world's view, a kinder, gentler face on Christianity. And so is that what it's going to be? I mean, is this how the apostasy happens? Um, his definition of Christianity is this social gospel that, you know, we're called to, you know, take care of the poor and the uh, immigrant and, the uh, you know, people who have uh, had bad things happen to them. And that's, I mean, that's true. We're supposed to, um, that's supposed to be a result of our faith. 
but that's not what the faith is. I, I mean, it's it's what Jesus said in in Mark chapter one, right? Uh, repent and believe the gospel. That's what Christianity is. These other things are a result of that, and so um, again, not the devil always, you know, there's always a little bit of truth and a little bit of scripture, and then it gets twisted and reprioritized. Um, we're supposed to turn from our sins. And so how can a man who's married to another man who supports killing children before they're born, <laughs> um, that isn't repenting. That isn't repenting when you promote those things. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you can, you can want to do nice things and still sin. Um, I think, you know, people said Hitler really liked his dogs. <laughs> Not that I'm saying Buttigieg is Hitler. <laughs> That'll be the next thing. Um, but, you know, you can point to any nasty person and find, some positive thing they did at some point in their life. Maybe they smiled at someone once, you know. But we have to turn from sin. Uh, that's what a saved person does. You don't embrace sin and try to say that this is what Jesus really wanted. Um, but so this, you know, is this the apostasy? Is this the falling away? Uh, what is it in... Um, and we talked about this, I think, last time in uh, Jude, um, verse 4. Uh, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained for this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Lasciviousness. And that's, uh, get my... Uh, Strong's Concordance, unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, lasciviousness, wantonness, outrageousness, shamelessness, insolence. It's hard to see, you know, pictures of this uh, guy kissing his husband on his wedding day and not think about um, just shamelessness, just uh, revel in the daytimes. And and the other verse that this uh, reminded me of was Second Timothy chapter three, and that whole um, thing at the beginning of perilous times. Um, where is it? I have, I'll read the whole thing because it's a really good verse. It's chapter three, Second Timothy chapter three, starting in verse one. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. We don't have a pride problem in this country or a narcissism problem, do we? Uh, lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. I always think of abortion with that. How can you kill your own child? That That's so unnatural, but there it is. Unnatural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, 
high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And here's the verse, verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away, turn away. It's interesting, it doesn't even talk about try to convert them or reprove them. Turn away. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. The power of God to make these rules. The power of God to judge those who break them. And the power of God to save people from these sins and help them escape the bondage of their sin. Denying that power. That's a shame. So, um, I do hope that God saves uh, Mayor Pete and um, helps clear the confusion in his mind that he thinks that somehow He's doing things that please God. But the danger here is that he is offering an alternative Christianity, one that the world will accept and approve of. And it's something that um, all religious people from lots of religions can agree on. It's like lowest common denominator. Is that how you get a one-world religion? So yeah, that just kind of struck me as really interesting. It'll be interesting to watch how this guy does. Because um, like I said, he's just wildly articulate and uh, knowledgeable. And uh, what a resume. Um, so yeah, and just, <laughs> I'll give you something fun. I'm not saying anything. I'm just, I'm just, you can just play with this as you want. Daniel 11 verse 37. That's all I'm going to say. I'll let you take it from there. Alrighty, that's going to do it. So much for a boy. I know last time we talked about making these shorter, but uh, um, that didn't happen. Uh, but this um, uh, this guy was just really struck me as interesting. So uh, we'll see how this all goes. Um, but yeah, reminds me of Clinton, who uh, I think was probably the, in my opinion, was probably the best politician of his generation. Um, just because, yeah, uh, he achieved what he wanted to. Um, went off the rails, but yeah, poor Bill. Um, anyway, there it is. Um, so feel free to contact us podcast at jesusforsinners.com and tell all your friends and we'll talk to you again soon. God willing. Take care, everyone. God bless.